Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to The Lending Bean, a podcast by Findu focused on engaging conversations around the theme of effortless lending. We're glad you decided to join us. In this episode, I'm speaking with Greg Palmer, Matthew Bullivant, and George Bradley, all of whom have their fingers on the pulse of sustainable lending. We'll take a critical look at subjects like changing client behavior through impact data, green loan rewards, and we'll ask how can banks achieve impact by aligning sustainability goals with policy and financial flows. This show is being recorded from Finnovate Europe in London. This is a major event where finance meets fintech. You may hear and even feel some of the action in the background, because as we speak, plans are being made and deals are being done by the movers and shakers of our financial future. This is The Lending Bean. Hello, my name is Mike Cooper and I'm your host for this podcast. And today I'm most fortunate to be joined by Matt Bullivant. Hi Mike, great to be here. Greg Palmer. Hello. And George Bradley. Hi folks. Matt Bullivant is currently Director of ESG Strategy at Oak North Bank here in London. Matt's background is in asset management, investor relations and the nexus between technology and sustainability. Oak North is a tech-driven UK bank for scaling businesses with annual turnover of between £1 million and £100 million sterling. In 2020, Oak North ranked number one in the Financial Times FT1000 list of Europe's fastest growing companies. My second guest is Greg Palmer. Greg is in fact top banana here at Finnovate Europe. This is not an official title, which is vice president and host of Finnovate, an event which not only takes place here, but also in New York, Berlin and San Francisco. Finnovate is part of Inform, a global conference company employing 10,000 people in over 60 markets and a member of the FTSE 100. Greg is a seasoned public speaker and demo coach, as well as being a contributor to Banking Technology magazine and the blog Fintech Futures. Welcome to The Lending Bean, Greg, and thanks for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. George Bradley is our third guest. He is head of sales at Connect Earth, which is not a fintech, but a climate tech startup aimed at empowering individuals, that's you and me, listener, uh, to understand their impact. Their tech uses carbon data to drive sustainable finance by allowing businesses to offer their customers transparent insights into the climate impact of their spending decisions. Welcome, George. Thank you for having me. Great you could all be here. Now, after all that, we need to get into something serious, like warm beverages. So, I'm going to go around the table, as we do in the Lending Bean, to find out what your coffee and tea preferences are, or something else, one never knows. So, Matt, are you a coffee or a tea person? Uh, I'm absolutely a coffee person, which is probably the right answer on this uh, podcast. There is no incorrect answer, yeah. there's no correct answer. <laughs> Good, yes, I should probably say that... Um, uh, I, I was asked a question the, the other day as to what, got, what gets me up in the morning. And I, and I think as a sustainability practitioner, I really ought to say all of the innovations and wonderful kind of inventions and uh, strides that the world is making to become a more sustainable place. But the reality is it's coffee. Excellent. How, what sort of coffee? Coffee with milk, cappuccino or straight black? Uh, a, a dash of milk. I, I'm not quite as aggressive as a, as a black coffee just yet, but um, uh, usually uh, at least a five on the... Uh, on the five on the, on, the, on, the, on the rocket scale. Exactly. Greg. 
You're from over the pond. I suspect you're a coffee man, but I don't know. You know, I'm actually an equal opportunity caffeinator. I will take virtually any caffeinated beverage. If you see me with a cup of coffee, it means that I'm probably having a rough day. I tend to start out with tea, move into something cool and caffeinated in the afternoon. But yeah, a latte would be uh, when you really need to pull out all the stops. So, um, you know, this is sort of a let's let's do all of them, all of the above. <laughs> Most excellent. I can't I can't beat that. But. Perhaps George can, because unbeknown to us all, yesterday we discovered that George spent five years at a B Corp coffee startup before joining Connect Earth. So spill the beans, Mr. Bradley. Is it coffee or is it tea? Well, it has to be coffee. And I feel like I could fill this whole podcast just talking coffee. I won't do that to everybody today, but um, yeah, uh, that's my background. Um, I could go down the rabbit hole, but today just an espresso. It has to be pure, pure and simple. A classic Italian beverage. Who can argue with that? Right. Um, I'd like to know also what you guys have been seeing and feeling and hearing around uh, a Finnovate Europe. So um, have you seen anything that's taken your eye or that surprised you in terms of the content that you've seen people presenting uh, at the event? Matt? Yeah, I mean, I sat through a really interesting session this morning on, um, on our future selves and, and how, as humans, we're adapting to an extraordinary amount of information that is that is um, available to us uh, in the modern age and the fact that never before have, have people had so much at their fingertips. Uh, and that balance between what we can achieve by having so much data and so much available um, uh, power at our fingertips, but also so that it doesn't become overwhelming. Uh, and how do we actually make sure that we can put all that together effectively? Uh, and from a finance point of view, um, how effective that could be in getting money to the right places, in actually coming up with new innovations. And, um, and you only have to look at things like um, ChatGPT that are coming out now to, to see that, that, that these sort of applications are coming at pace. Uh, so it's a really interesting, really interesting area. Oh, cool. Thanks. George, have you spotted something that, is, that has taken your fancy? Yeah, I guess in a couple of the sessions today, I've noticed that that classic power dynamic or power struggle between incumbents and fintechs. And um, there's been some questions mooted about are these partnerships or are they customer supplier dynamics? And the kind of the competitive process to get onto the roadmap and all that sort of thing. I think um, something that Matt, you mentioned before, before we started was, I think when people are afraid of change, they're actually afraid of loss. And I suppose that seems like quite a, uh, a strong sort of talking point um, at the event so far, with maybe sort of larger incumbents worried about being usurped by, by fintechs and um, actually presenting that change in a positive light rather than a kind of loss. Those young is, folks uh, are knocking on our door. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> felt that today, yeah. <laughs> oh, great, thanks for sharing. Greg, how about you? You've got a great overview of the event. Yeah, so it's always interesting for me to see what, what resonates with other people because um, obviously nothing was a surprise to me. I worked closely with a lot of the demoing companies as they refine their pitches and we work with all of our speakers to set the agenda. And so I'm delighted with the responses that these two have already given because we did try and pull some of those themes into today. I think for me, you know, I mentioned this in my opening remarks yesterday, the, the biggest theme that, that I see right now is this shift towards really looking at the human side of the industry. And for a long time, there was this kind of conversation, how can we have the best technology possible? And there were a lot of groups who were really proactively pursuing that, which is really exciting. And there are some people who clearly do the tech side of things really well. 
Um, but now there's kind of a new battlefield that's emerging, which is how can I engage with people the best, which is a slightly different topic than what's the best technology. And there are going to be people who want the best tech experience, who want to have it as smooth as possible. And I think the industry does a good job of you know, rewarding and supporting that type of person. But there's this other type of people who kind of exist outside of this bubble in the finance and technology space, kind of everyday people who for a long time now have, have maybe felt like they're not being seen as human beings. Like their their banks don't necessarily understand them. They don't understand their values. They don't understand their goals. And now we're seeing banks making this correction and starting to say, how can I use the technology that I have available to me to be the best human possible? Or, and this is a totally valid option, at least convincingly fake it. You can actually <laughs> convincingly fake being an excellent person now in a way that you couldn't beforehand. I can have a conversation with Matt and I can pretend that I know him while I'm frantically typing into my platform, pulling up everything I know about Matt's previous interactions with my organization. I can say, I know this is how he likes to connect with me. This is what he's likely to be doing. And so I can then approach him and say, hey, Matt, you might consider this product. And he might actually say, wow, you, you actually know me. And of course, it's all trickery. It's all technology on the back end. But I love to see the emphasis placed on this human side of it, because right. ultimately, that's who this industry exists to serve. And I think we've kind of forgotten that at key points in fintech's evolution. And so it's really exciting for me to see the solutions on our stage that are talking about that and seeing them gain some traction. I think it's also perhaps signals some kind of maturity in the market that is going away from the from the from the nerds in the lab and perhaps thinking, well, people want this. What do people think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. No, great. it's a really crucial one. This sort of, I, what can I do is a really interesting question when you have new technologies. And then there's this, why do I want to do it question that I think we're now really starting to look at where's the why, what do people actually need? And we're listening to customers in a way that we haven't been before in this industry, which I think is really good. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you, you have a, you have an excellent uh, viewpoint of an overview of the whole sort of fintech industry. I mean, what, what are you seeing in terms of the investor community's demands and the sustainability focused initiatives? Are you seeing specific changes or specific directions being taken by, by the players? Well, I think there's, so coming back to this question of what do people actually want? And we know uh, there's been a huge amount of market research that's been done that consumers want to feel something authentic. They want to feel like they have, they're engaging with brands, particularly younger consumers want to feel like they're engaging with brands that align with their social interests. And a lot of them, with good reason, I think, are looking at environmental concerns and are saying, you know, I want to be careful with my money. I want to make sure that the bank that I invest with is not using my capital to go and fund something which I I personally find abhorrent. And, and I think now we're starting to recognize that there is money in being able to, uh, again, convincingly fake being a human being who cares about this. Some yeah. banks genuinely do, and I don't want to um, cast aspersions there. But I think there's also this re realization that if we're going to attract this younger generation of customers, we have to give them something that they care about. And so for that reason, um, I think the, the ESG side of it is really starting to gain a lot of traction because it's something that so many people already care about. It's a great way to demonstrate that you have you have something in common with your potential customers. And also, quite frankly, I think a lot of the bankers and folks who come to this kind of conference um, believe in this personally. So right. you know, it, there are obviously corporate boardrooms where you know, people maybe don't, but the people who tend to come here have been saying for a long time now, we want to see more in this space. We want to do more in this space. And that's one of the reasons I enjoyed, Matt, your session so much today, you know, having you up there as a banker sort of saying, this is something we're really focusing on here is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything uh, Greg, Greg's got to say there. I, I think, 
there's an increasing amount of evidence to suggest that the, the, the demand is there. And, and coming from a banking point of view, we, we've got to look at both the risk side of things from, from ESG and sustainability, but also the commercial opportunity. And I think there's, there's often a trap, especially with things like climate change, where it becomes doom and gloom and a lot of negativity around we must do this or else. Um, and what that misses is, is the great opportunity because there is so much demand and there is so much of a, let's call it a greenium, that uh, the, the wider kind of customer base, if you're, if you're a business, are willing to pay because they believe in it and because uh, they, they want to be able to see and demonstrate and, and take action. Um, and if you aren't part of that, then you are missing a trick as a business. Uh, and I think, you know, we spend too long sometimes focusing on the, the downsides and the, the problems that, that we face as a society with regard to things like climate change. Um, and I think we need to recognise both. Yeah, I mean, there seems to be also an increased demand uh, due to a new generation perhaps coming to banking and financial products. And as a representative of our younger generation, George, how do you relate to what's just been said? I think um, it's actually across all demographics, but it is largely being driven by millennial and, and Gen Z uh, younger audiences. Um, and that's one key area that we support um, consumer banking to provide carbon emissions estimates based on your, um, based on your spending. Um, the other piece is that kind of compliance and regula regulatory environment. Um, bluntly, it feels as though it's closing in and there's increasing pressure with regulation like SFDR and, and CSRD um, for um, uh, lenders to be more responsible for the emissions of the businesses that they're lending to. So there's this kind of stick element as well, but actually we can also bring that carrot into play as well by offering incentives for businesses that a, kind of understand their own emissions uh, profile. B, can act on it positively to reduce it. And then C, are looking to access kind of, you know, green products like lower interest rates on, on, um, on loans or um, financial support to kind of invest in renewables or kind of act on their own green transition projects. So... Right, I gather that Finnovet has introduced a scholarship program for, for uh, fintech startups on ESG topics. Could you perhaps explain a little bit about that, Greg? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is one of those things where, honestly, it's driven by a lot of our own staff. We have staff around the world, um, and some of the pieces that we, we personally believe are represented in the scholarship program. We know it's difficult for companies in certain areas to gain traction, and we also know how beneficial it can be for company to come on the Finnovate stage and make the kind of connections that you can make in this room. And we aspire to make sure our show remains open and available to people and companies from all sizes, from all different backgrounds. And so we've put together a scholarship program around getting more uh, women and people of color on stage and also getting more companies that are working on environmental or social uh, responsibility areas and bringing them on stage as well. And, and the really fun thing about it is, you know, as we've kind of gone out and started to make some noise about this, this is still very early days for us. This right. is the first time we've been able to do it. But as we've made some noise about it, we're starting to see companies raising their hands and saying, oh, hey, we're doing something like this. And those stories are really rewarding for us because it speaks to the possibility that you could see some of these companies gaining significant traction in the future. And from our part, if we can help provide a platform 
to companies that are doing really amazing things and they can use that platform to find somebody who can further their own agenda and help make it more likely that they'll succeed, then we consider that to be a really, you know, a job well done from, from our side. So it's something which is very personal, I think, to a lot of us, but we're also seeing the industry respond in a way that's really heartening. And so I certainly hope that we'll see more of, of that type of innovation. And, and if we can maybe drive some people who weren't thinking about entering that type of space to actually say, you know, maybe I should right. go and point some of my technology that direction, so much the better. How can uh, the listener access information about this program? Uh, Finnovate.com is the place to start. Um, each show has its own demo selection process. So, But from Finnovate.com, you'll see any of the upcoming shows. Click into the one that you're interested in. From here, we'll be going to San Francisco next in May. Then we'll be in New York in September. Uh, we are still taking applications for those shows right now. And there are, are opportunities to get involved in the scholarship program for both of those shows as well. Great. Thanks, Thanks a lot for that, Greg. Well, so listeners, you know what to do. Um, I now have the dilemma section. So I'm going to read a dilemma, and I'd like all three of you to react to it in your own personal way. The dilemma is as follows. Even if people understand their climate impact, they're still going to get in their car to do their shopping in the neighborhood. Matt. Yeah, so um, it's a good dilemma. And I, and I think I, I often think about things like measuring and raising awareness around car uh, carbon impact and climate impact as a does it pass the so what test. Telling people what their carbon footprint is and telling businesses what their carbon footprint is is all well and good. But unless you can tell them what that means, how they can do something about it, why they should do something about it, and that isn't necessarily from a ecological point of view or from an ethical point of view, if you are a business, and actually right now if you're a smaller or mid-sized business and you are focused largely on survival, you have to make it worthwhile from a commercial point of view. So, so that example, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to stop getting in a car, but you have to kind of say, well, actually, should that be an electric car? Should that be right. a journey that you might want to have done by bicycle? And what are the benefits of doing that? Uh, and, and, and again, you know, to that point earlier, what do you gain by doing this in a more sustainable manner rather than what do you lose by not getting in that car? Yeah, I think Matt's absolutely right. I think it's about incentivizing the right behaviors where you can and not leading with a sort of uh, blame and shame culture. I think there's a lot of conversation around where we apply pressure to um, move like society in a more kind of sustainable or, or kind of net zero direction. And um, I think everybody bears the brunt in some way, shape or form. You know, businesses are under pressure. Um, government is under pressure around policy and individuals are under pressure. But the more you can turn those negatives into positives and, and see what you can gain, um, then it means that you accept that yes everybody has an impact like um you you, you do everything that you possibly can um and understand that if you are going to create some impact you can also see positives elsewhere i think it's about the bigger picture right thanks very much greg well, I think I uh, have to disagree at least a little bit and say I think we should name and shame. And I think one of the, the pieces which has been incredibly successful on the part of people who are not necessarily opposing environmental action measures, but people who don't want to take them seriously, there's been a, a tremendous amount of kind of personal responsibility that's been shifted to individuals saying, you know, these are steps that you can take. You need to be recycling these things. You need to be trying to cut down on using your car. While we've been really ignoring some of these gigantic drivers of the biggest 
problems, which are corporations, which quite frankly um, take zero responsibility. And so you think, you know, what if I'm going to get to the level where I'm worrying about myself taking a car ride to go pick up some groceries? Groceries are heavy. This is what cars are for. I need to put them into the trunk of the car. I'm not going to ride them on a bicycle or I'm going to take me six trips. I've got two kids at home. And let me tell you, those guys eat. I have to fill up the trunk to, to get a food for the week. So I think we need to look beyond kind of this individual user, this individual person and say, where can we make some bigger picture shifts in our society? And when you look at the idea, you know, there, there was a train that derailed in Ohio a little bit ago yeah. and the stuff was set on fire. How many trips to the grocery store was that single incident? And so the idea that we're going to say, we're going to, you know, try and judge you for not doing, being as green as you possibly can in your individual life while at the same time ignoring these massive contributors. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we struggle with this, to be totally honest yeah. with you, as a conference, because we know that there's waste inherent in, the, in just the act of running a conference. You pull people in from other geographies. People are getting on planes. There are printed materials that are here. And we really look at how can we try and make our own situation as green as possible. We've eliminated a lot of the paper that we pass out. We look to use um, sustainable, recyclable materials. You'll notice that there's a lot of glass bottles here instead of plastic. Right. That's intentional. Glass is much easier to recycle. Um, but I think really at the end of the day, you know, we need to put this focus where it belongs, which right. is not on somebody taking a five-minute car ride to pick up groceries. We need to be talking about things at a much, much grander scale than that. And I think that's where people are recognizing that a lot of their financial institutions are complicit with some of these really significant contributors to environmental problems and environmental decay. You know, if you if your bank is funding a pipeline somewhere that's funneling you know oil or natural gas somewhere else and you don't agree with that don't bank with that bank right this is the level that we have to be talking about right now because those really significant big picture ones have amazingly somehow gone underneath the radar as we all try and think about well is this recycling is it compost is it plastic is it whatever do i need to take the little ring off the top of the bottle cap before i can put it in the recycling let's let's put some focus back where it needs to be on a lot of these really significant big contributors Talking about how companies need to be aware of their impact, um, Oak North is busy with companies which are, you say small and medium in your introduction, but, but it's actually more medium, isn't it? Oak North finances uh, uh, companies of a more medium size. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of these are, are, are growth businesses. And I, and I think, to, to some extent, to, to echo some of what, what Greg was saying, I think there is an argument that there's no such thing as materiality with regard to climate change and everything counts and it all adds up. However... That doesn't mean that there isn't a, a sense of reasonable expectation. Um, and I think when it comes to, to small businesses, there is a reasonable expectation that they need some help if they're going to do this. Uh, and I think there's also an equally reasonable expectation that banks as finance providers need to step up and do some of that. Uh, and that isn't just something for fintechs, that is any bank. And if small businesses are encountering that they either don't know their impact, don't know what to do about their impact, and don't know how to finance it, well, if any bank isn't stepping up to try and resolve that issue, then they are not uh, doing what should be reasonably expected of them. Um, so I, I think, you know, from, a, from an Oak North point of view, we, we spend a lot of time understanding the businesses that we finance. We spend a lot of time looking at their business models, looking at the challenges they face, and thinking actually, as a, as a lender, about the creditworthiness of those businesses and the longevity of those businesses. Yeah. And when you think about sustainability and ESG in, in that respect, 
you're, th- you're thinking about something that is much more embedded into the business model and something that is, that is actually more about what is the commercial gain for these businesses in terms of, of, of baking in sustainability? What can they do to benefit from this? Um, uh, how, how do we help them become more sound, long-term commercial propositions as businesses? Is it, is it correct that you te- your, a lot of your financing is more in the, constri- it's in the construction sector? Is that correct? Yeah, we do a lot in the built environment, uh, yeah. which is a challenging sector to decarbonise. Um, well, indeed, I was going to say, but I, I would imagine also that they're also not particularly aware of their impact. And do you play a role in that? Yeah, I, I think there was a really good piece of research, actually, that was done by the, uh, the Cambridge Institute of uh, Sustainability, Sustainability Leadership uh, in the early part of this year. And what they looked at was, if you are a bank and you are financing uh, SMEs and smaller businesses, there are five or six things that you should do to try and help the decarbonisation agenda. And only one of those is a financial product. The other five are education, advocacy, tools, resources, everything that they need to try and understand their impact and what they can do about it. Right, so you're educating the companies themselves in a way. And, and a lot of the time, that's, that, that's not just around the climate side of things. Sometimes that's around actually regulatory change. So if you take the built environment, it might be something like minimum energy efficiency standards. And if you are a property investor and you want to be able to lease out a property that you're buying for the next 10 years, well, hey, you know, if that's not up to a certain level of energy efficiency, you are not going to be allowed to let that out. And that is a problem for you and your business. And it's a problem for us as a bank financing that business. Right. So you should be aware of that. And that's got nothing, almost nothing, to do with the climate agenda. That is a regulatory awareness that, that is linked into decarbonisation. So, yeah. so it's an important message. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, regulatory uh, background to, to, to emissions is also something which, which you're busy with at, at Connect Earth, correct, George? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I said before, our two key areas are one is for consumer banking, which is where we've got most of our traction so far and our revenue as a business. But I think the real power, the kind of second card that we're playing now is much more about uh, carbon reporting for SMEs. So we help banks help their um, businesses understand their, their emissions profile. And we do that in a way that's A, it's compliance led, so it's necessary. But we were talking earlier about how compliance at the moment can feel like a huge stack of paperwork on the desk. Yeah. And people are only going to do it until they come kicking and screaming. So actually, if we can automate and simplify that process, it allows banks to have a really good understanding of their portfolio of customers at the individual and, and kind of entire level. Yeah. It allows those SMEs to understand their impact relative to other similar size and scale businesses within their um, vertical so they've got a really relative and almost competitive sense of how they're performing and what they can do next. And then it allows them to access those kind of more green um, kind of finance options. So right. it is very kind of uh, compliance-led, but um, it should also give a competitive advantage to the SMEs and to the banks that uh, support them. Um, well, I just want to chime in because I think one of the things that, you know, the regulatory environment is really crucial. If you look at the, right now there are costs associated with, pollution, with carbon emissions, and those costs aren't realized by the organizations that cause them. Those costs are borne by the people of the planet. We all have a share in it. And so who's in a position to actually go and say, what should this cost? Because you are costing us something when you dump, you know, if if I was going to go and just start dumping a pipeline of toxic waste into the river right out that window, um, you would say, don't do that. You're wrecking this river for all the rest of us. And I'd say, I don't care. It's not costing me anything. You have to figure out how can you apply the cost to the people who are actually contributing to it. And I think it has to be a regulatory environment that can do that. They're the only ones who are in a position who can. And I think, you know, to your point, it has to be something which is easy enough that people feel like they can actually do it. Because if you give somebody something which they feel like is they're, they're doomed to failure from the beginning, 
beginning, their natural instinct is going to be just kind of throw their hands up and say, sorry, maybe we'll try on the next one. But the more possible it seems, the more emboldened the regulators will be to say we can actually take some steps here, the easier it's going to be for everybody, financial institutions and the businesses that they serve to comply. And that's where you can start to see some real progress being made. And so I think it has to be this combination that you're talking about in order to be effective. Um, talking of banks, uh, a bit of bank in the news recently, the Silicon Valley Bank, um, which of course has a major, uh, it's been giving major backing to to ESG and, and, and sustainability-related um, uh, clients, um, Greg, have you have you felt the vibes of the of the of the aftershocks of this particular incident? I'm not sure to the aftershocks yet. It might still be the shocks at this right. point. Um, but I think this is one of those things where the, you, you can feel it in the room. A lot of the conversations that are taking place, uh, people are talking about it. Nobody quite knows what to think yet. We need to do a little bit more of a deep dive into this. But I think you know already you can see people looking for excuses to take the Silicon Valley Bank example and advance their own agenda, whatever that agenda may be. And so people are going to probably hold them up and say, oh, they were engaged in this, and then they went, you know, they went under, and so don't engage with that, when that might have nothing to do with the problem. Right. And I think what we really have to be careful of here is just avoiding equating correlation with causality. And so at this point, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, you know, we know what caused it, but I can already see people who are looking for places where they can potentially tie it to something uh, that advances their own agenda. So that's what really concerns me in the short term as people talk about this. Um, and hopefully, as we get further removed from it, we get more information, we can start to say, okay, actually, we have a better understanding of the causality here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably not anything to do with ESG. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was going to say, what I was curious to see what the, what the Oak North WhatsApp group says about the Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I'm going to follow that up by actually applying an ESG lens to it for a second, because I, I think since 2007-8, Arguably, the banking sector should have been laser-focused on governance. Uh, from an ESG point of view, I think this is a, a clear indicator that, that actually we shouldn't rest on our laurels. And, and actually, the governance side of things is very, very important. Uh, and I think actually, with a lot of the conversation around climate change and the E, and also social factors, let's not forget about the G of ESG here. And, and the SVB situation is, is a great example of that. The second point I'd make is that uh, SVB had a, had a particularly unique role. There were a lot of reasons why startup businesses, climate techs, yeah. and, and VC innovation funds went to Silicon Valley Bank as opposed to a large income bank. What um, were those uh, and, and I think, Well, a lot of the time, it's, it's, you know, Oak North, we are an entrepreneurial bank serving entrepreneurs and growth businesses. They don't have 10 years of credit history. They don't have a long track record. A lot of bigger bank models just simply can't cope with, with saying yes to financing startups or early stage companies because it falls outside of their risk profile or they don't have the, the capabilities to take a forward-looking view because that's not the way they're set up. So a bank like SVB actually had a particular role to play in society and quite an important role right. servicing those, the, those, those growth businesses. So I think you know, we need to look at it as a, now that the, the SVB has, has kind of been taken over in the UK by the likes of HSBC, which is a large incumbent, how do we not lose that essence of, of that service from a social point of view yeah. that SVB had? Um, and, and I think that's, that's an interesting dilemma when, when you look at how 
smaller banks are, are, are regulated or, or, or left to, to give them incentives to grow versus actually keeping that governance focus. Yeah. You're mentioning there that the incumbents can't deal with uh, how to value uh, new businesses and startups, but Oak North does. How do you do that then? Yeah, so uh, a lot of what Oak North is built around is our own credit intelligence software. So, so we've spent a long time developing software that takes a forward-looking view. It looks at the financials of the company right now, but thinks about what levers may impact that business going forward. So it might be policy levers in a really granular level for that particular subsector or industry they're in. What does it mean about their supply chain? What does it mean in terms of... Um, the nature of their business and what might happen in future years. So it's all about taking that forward-looking view. And actually, from an ESG point of view, we do something similar with assessing climate risk because it's the same deal. There is no precedent. There is no back history here. How do we think about the impact on company financials going forward? Well, we've got to look at what might happen in terms of carbon prices, oil prices, um, behavioural change, policy change that may influence those financials as they are now. The past is not an indication of the future in these instances. Connect Earth's view of the Silicon Valley Bank. Did you have any, will you be, did you get any money from them, George? <laughs> no, no, we didn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm sworn to secrecy on pain of death about any announcements and ah. such in, in our near future. Um, but uh, I, I suppose like our take is it was clearly a hot topic yesterday, I think, at the, yeah. at the, at the event. I think what seems to have spooked some people is... Um, where they're sourcing their financing from and, and how diverse uh, those sources are. Right, uh, and, and looking at their own, putting, exactly, their, their own yeah. hygiene in yes. terms of financing. Yeah, exactly, and whether they're putting too many eggs in one basket. And I suppose from a sort of fintech perspective, that's where open banking um, will be very powerful to continue to provide valuable services to people if um, they have kind of spread their... Um, in that they're kind of their, their banking and their finances across a, a number of different providers. Yeah, well, don't put your eggs in one basket. That's what my grandmother told me. Even so. if it's a really big basket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or a really big egg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks very much indeed, gentlemen. I'm afraid we've come to the end of the show right now. Um, we could have talked to for a lot longer, I think. Um, that about wraps up this show. Uh, we hope you appreciated this lively conversation on sustainable lending. Um, I'd like to thank our guests very much. Greg Palmer. Yeah, pleasure. Uh, Matt Bullivant. Thank you. And George Bradley. Thanks so much. And keep an eye out for the headlines on Connect Earth. I think he might have just pre-warned uh, us about some breaking news there. Um, thanks very much to our crew behind the scenes here at Finnovate Europe, where the world of finance meets its digital future. This podcast was brought to you by Findu, an end-to-end SAAS lending platform. That's all from me for this edition. Check out the show notes if you'd like more background information. We hope you'll follow, like, and five-star rate The Lending Bean. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Meanwhile, stay safe and stay solvent. We hope you'll join us again for the next edition of The Lending Bean. Bean.